Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, review for the final exam, part two. This is a multifaceted se uh, session because I'll spend a little time, go through the numbers, and then I'm going to have you take uh, quiz eight. Uh, it, you have five minutes for it, quiz eight. And once that five minutes is done, then I will have you do your student course evaluations. Now, I can't be in the classroom when you do those, so I will leave for 15 minutes while you do those. And then when I come back, we'll climb in for the second round of the review for that final exam. And uh, just as a little heads up for you heads up folks, obviously I have my office hours tomorrow, Thursday, but I'll also be in here on Friday from about... I don't know, about 10 o'clock until noon, a little afternoon, if you want to stop in. Now, next week on Monday, I will be in my office from about 9.30 till maybe 11 or, I have another uh, uh, class for, that for this exam, so that might not be a good one, but on Tuesday, I'll be in my office again from 9.30 until your final begins. So you have various opportunities to come in and ask questions in my office hours if you so choose. So one way or the other, you have all kinds of opportunities to get a great score on the final exam. And let us get started here as always. And finishing up here at the end of this day, Let's, uh, at the end of this course, I should say, with one last look at the numbers, which of course could be relevant for the final anyway. So here we go. As you can see, it was not a very impressive day. It was just sort of a grouchy day again. We see the markets piddling themselves down because there's not much excitement, no bad news, no good news. Just a little bit of grumpy sentiment. I think it's maybe the Christmas season doing that to the uh, markets. But there you are. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. Look at the price of crude oil. Well, you quit that. God, that irritates me. There. Look at crude oil. It is broken down. Not only has it crashed down through the floor of the 72 to 79 trading range. It is now in the 60s at 69.18 a barrel on the benchmark light sweet Brent. <clears throat> so what does that mean for you? Well, probably should lower gas prices if they'll ever catch up. But yeah, at these levels, you should see, begin to see gas showing up at about around this area at about 309 to a gallon, if not a little cheaper, eventually. Of course, in Chicago, that means it will be below $5 a gallon, but that's, there's that. Coming over here, the gold bugs have kept the price of gold above that resistance level at $2,000 an ounce. 
And I can't figure out what's spooking them so much uh, that they're buying gold and thinking the end of the world is coming. But fortunately for us, it probably isn't. We're having some pretty decent news. Look over here at this, the 10-year bond. The yield is sliding, still going down. It went down five basis points today. And of course, whither goes that benchmark yield, so will go the other uh, interest rates, which will mean lower rates on uh, mortgages for home mortgages, lower rates for auto loans and other big ticket items. And that should boost and spur and stimulate the economy, get everyone excited to buy stuff. And again, we're seeing preliminary numbers that this is going to be a good Christmas season, which bodes well for the coming months after the new year. And that means more jobs and all that for you folks. But anyway, now here we have the euro and the uh, pound depreciating against the dollar. And that's, uh, they're, they're sliding downward. And that's a little bit unusual because our interest rates are going down, which should weaken the dollar. But the best explanation of this is that our economy is strong and it's probably stronger, at least in the currency traders uh, view, it's a stronger currency than the euro or the pound, the British pound. And the yen similarly depreciated today. Uh, that's backwards, as I always said. Now, Nikkei had a really strong day. Tokyo, on the other side of the planet, it was in a really good mood, up 2%. And even London, which has been kind of grouchy lately, London was up, although it looks like there was a bear pull there at the end, but it wasn't enough to flatten the market out completely for the day. So, you know, whatever's going on, we see, one thing you can see is bond prices were sliding, bond yields were sliding. That means bond prices are going up. And that means that there is buying activity in the bonds. Well, where would they get the money for that buying activity? They're drawing it from equity. See, the stocks are slipping a little bit. How to interpret that is kind of difficult, but anyway, there you are. Okay, now. One last one, just for old time's sake, just to look at a stock. Let me look at an airline stock. <coughs> Southwestern Air, Southwest Airline, uh, trading symbol LUV. Three letters, New York Stock Exchange. Okay, those, so there we go. <laughs> there, well that's a little interesting. So it's a little riskier than the market. P.E. ratio is a little overvalued. It's positive earnings. So let's have a look at the uh, numbers and see what they're saying for it. And this is, again, I'm going to give you a screen, just like I did on the midterm. You'll have one on the final. Very similar questions. Now, if we were to look at this for LUV, the price Predicted projected for one year is twenty seven thirteen. Purchasing it one year before today for twenty seven ninety nine. 
and then we minus 1 equals, and then we times it by 100. So the capital gain part of the yield, annual holding period yield, my ass, is negative. Oh, so you'll lose 3.07% on the stock price over the next year, according to the, this projection. But of course, we also have to add in the dividend yield, which is 2.65% added to the negative 3.07%. So you get a total annualized holding period return of negative 0.42%. That sucks, especially since this, this stock has above market risk. This is one of those that you would probably, unless you really are a contrary kind of investor, this is a stock that you would want to stay away from. Seriously. Let me take another one. That one was a little bit of a downer. Let's look at AMC. Now you can see that's a cheap stock. The projection, right now it's at $6.79. The one-year projection for the stock is $8.95. 8.95 divided by what you pay for it a year earlier today, seven point, uh, or rather 6.79. And that will equal plus, whoops, minus one. times 100. Whoa! Look at that. That's the capital gain yield of 30.91%. Now there's no dividend, so there's no dividend yield to add to this, so you're riding just the stock going up and down in price. But I mean, that is a whopper. Of course though, look at the risk of that stock. Beta of 1.85 there's no P.E. ratio because the company is actually losing money, for heaven's sake. They lost $3 per share. So, I mean, this is a great return, but boy, are you taking risk for this one. At beta 1.85, that's serious. But I mean, if you're willing to take the bet, this would definitely be a good, uh, this would be something a risk taker would would go after. Uh, especially, obviously, it's a heck of a lot better than uh, Southwest Airline was as far as expected return is, uh, is concerned. So there you are. I mean, again, it's obvious that the whole thing, the greater the risk, the greater the expected return. Well, here it is, writ large, with AMC. Remember, take, be careful when you do this, but you have enough knowledge now to at least take a decent educated stab at what is and is not good investment. So there you are. And again, there'll be a stock screen on the, on the final. Almost all of you just nailed it on the midterm. That's good points on the final for you. Now, as far as the, um, you have a quiz to take, 
and you should open that up now. You have only five minutes to do the quiz. So open it, make sure, and there is the password. The first thing I'm going to do is show you where the files, the specific spreadsheets you should be have open when before you start the final exam. And I'll even be a little more specific as to what quizzes where I can remember it, each one goes. But uh, let me turn this on. Now this would be your view, student view, and you're going to go to files. And you, oh, you probably all know this by now, but so humor me. The spreadsheets folder in your files tab. Now, the first one that you want to have available is your bond calculations. That would have been quiz five, I think, quiz five. Bond calculations, you should have that one open because if you see a question, what is, I, I talk about a bond and I say, what is the price and what is the yield? Then you know that the bond calculation spreadsheet is what you pull up push the numbers into it, and then spank me, you're gonna have the answer that you should put on the uh, exam. Now the next one that you should have, loan payments. It's almost telling you, well, I describe you borrow money for a house or for a uh, car. Well, that's a loan payment. All you have to do is put in how much you borrow, what the APR is, how many payments a year, that kind of thing, and you'll get your answer. That's also will be able to give you the effective rate, which I will ask about. So all you have to do is know how to put numbers into the Excel sheet to get your answers that will get you all the points. The next one that you'll need is the NPV and IRR. IRI? No, I think it's just cut off there. MPV, yeah, it's cut off. MPV and IRR. That will be the question where you will see one where you're, uh, you're going to get $800 a month for the next 50 years. What's it worth now? That's, uh, I'm sorry. No, that's not correct. Let me, I, I, I'm saying the wrong question for that. Where the hell? Oh, I see. Yeah, the IRR, the MPV and IRR. This one's the one where you've got a project underway. I'm going to tell you an, init an initial investment and then you're going to push in the yearly cash flow, free cash flow, and out should pop your MPV and IRR. You put in the discount rate it should do all of the heavy lifting for you. Now the present value and future value. That would be one where, the, I, I, I got ahead of myself, you're gonna get $500 every year for the next 50 years or something like that. What's it worth now? That would be the present value. Then the other one, you will see it starting today. Or you are going to put money into an account. How much will be in it 
one year or one month after your last payment. You had this on the midterm. I'm just going to repeat the story to see if you've got it. It will look very similar. Okay. Oh, God. Oh. Got to stop going to the hospital. It hurts. Okay, now, project analysis. I'm not going to do a full free fat cash flow problem on the exam. I won't. You've just got too much... I mean, it, it just gets overwhelming if you just get keep getting beaten like that. So I'm going to back down from project analysis. Uh, so free cash flow, uh, the last thing we did, I would give you something like, here's two things that you would get. I might have you calculate a change in net operating working capital, like I did on the midterm. You know, net operating working capital this period minus net operating working capital last period. I could also give you the formula. I could do a question where I say, which of these is the correct formula to calculate free cash flow? And I'll just give you four different possibilities. Change pluses to minuses, minus the pluses, or put in something that's not supposed to be there. And all you have to do is identify the formula that is correct. You don't have to use it. You just have to identify it. I do that on another problem, the same kind of trick. But again, you don't have to use it, but you have to be able to know what, which formula is correct. But anyway, moving on. Risk and return. I mean, the capital asset pricing model is straightforward enough that it's easier just to punch it into a calculator. If you see a question where I give you the risk-free rate and the expected return to the market portfolio and the beta, well, that's just yelling, cap M, use the formula. I will not, on the final exam, do a stock valuation problem. There's no horizon value stuff and all that. Again, that's just, it, it's just a little much. So you don't have to worry about that. A whack problem, though, yeah. I could give you one, and I'll even pull up that worksheet. Good grief. Okay. Now remember, on this problem, all you have to do... All you have to do is push in the numbers, take them out of the narrative, and put them into the right places. Now, one thing that I do caution, there are a couple of numbers that go a couple of places. I'm going to tell you an old... I'm going to tell you an old uh, trick, clear back from even before Excel. When we were taking numbers out of a word thing, something that was telling the story, and we're putting them in. As you find a number that goes in a specific place, this is just advice. You don't have to follow it. But if I've got a number I just put in, I put a little X in the box beside it. I've done that number. That way, you can before you get your answers on uh, to the problem, you can quickly look to see, did I get all the numbers in? 
And even if there are numbers there, you just make sure that you put a number there on, uh, on, on the exam. And as you go along, oh, I see that's that number. Okay, I put that number in, put a little X on it. That way you know that you've gotten all of the numbers. If it's a white box, it should have a number that you have put in. If it's a white box, it should have a little X beside every number. And that just tells you, I put a number in there. So as soon as you put a number in, put an X. Done. It's just a little piece of advice to keep you from forgetting to put a number. You got, As you can see, there are a lot of numbers to put in. Just make sure you get them all in there. If you get them all in there, the weighted average, weighted average cost of capital uh, solves itself out for you. Okay? Just make sure you do that. And it will be very similar to the one that I gave you on the quiz. Where I asked you for a whack. So that's your sheets that you should have available to you. All right, let me kill this just to make sure. Okay, now, X out of that. Don't save. Okay, go back to leave student view. Courses, all courses. Bear with me here one moment while I pull up the final exam. Well, you know, I could just put it up on the overhead so you could, on the projector, so you could see it. No, I won't do that. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you hung us up with that, fat boy. <laughs> okay, okay wait, oh. Now, here's how I do this. You're writing a study guide right now. I'm going to tell you what I think you should know. Now, obviously, it's just my opinion of what I, because, but since I'm writing the exam, that it's probably a good idea to take me seriously on this. But I'm just going to go through, and I'm just, it, I'll, it, it'll be random in a few places, but just get it down. If you can know what I say you should know, you're going to do well on this exam. So you don't get hit by a meteor when you're coming here and then you can't take the exam, then you won't do so well. Okay. You should know the relationship between price and yield of a bond. I asked this before, and I'll ask it again. And oh, by the way, in some cases, I just take questions from a midterm, from the midterm, or from a quiz, I copy and I paste them into the final. In other cases, I copy and then I paste it and then I change a few words. But if, it's an ob if it was an objective for the course that I tested on the midterm, then I'm going to test that same objective on the final. That's the logic of it. So we have, so I can prove assurance of learning by the objectives. Well, they scored this well on the final on this objective, so I got it done. 
That's how this works in academia these days. Okay, so you should know the relationship between net present value and internal rate of return. You should know the relationship between net present value and internal rate of return. Oh, well that's pretty obvious, easy. The internal rate of return is the discount rate that makes the net present value zero. The internal rate of return is the discount rate that makes the net present value zero. Therefore, if I use a discount rate for a project lower than the internal rate of return, it'll be a positive NPV. If I use a discount rate higher than the internal rate of return on a project, it will come out with a negative NPV. The internal rate of return is the place where the NPV goes from positive to negative. You should know what financial intermediation is. And there are three parts that have to be fulfilled. Now, early in the course, we talked about shareholders and bondholders, uh, in other words, stockholders and bondholders. You should know who has prior and who has residual claim to the free cash flows. You should know about stockholders, what their rights are, what their responsibilities are. Who votes for the board of directors? Well, that's the stockholders. Who gets dividends? Well, that would be the stockholders. Are, is the corporation required to pay a dividend? No. On the other hand, bondholders. What happens if, a, if the company can't pay an interest payment? That's where those two terms, Chapter 7 and Chapter 11, come in. Now, in a somewhat similar vein, that weighted average cost of capital. You remember I went through the formula to calculate each of those, the after-tax cost of debt, the cost of common equity, the cost of um, a new equity, and the cost of preferred stock. Okay, now you don't have to do any those calculations. Excel can do that for you. However, you do have to know what order of they go in in terms of expensiveness, which is costlier, debt or retained earnings, which is uh, that, that kind of thing. 
Another thing that I do, again, you don't have to do calculations with the formulas, but I could very well show you, there could be a, there a couple of different questions where I ask a question and I show you the formula, I show you four different, five different formulas. And the question is, which one is the cost of retained earnings? Or which one is the after-tax cost of debt? I could very well do that. I could do that on another completely different question with which one of the formulas below is the capital asset pricing model? Or which one of the formulas below is the market premium over risk-free? In other words, you don't have to do a calculation, but you do have to know the formula. So that's something that you should put in your note cards. Remember, you have two 4x6 note cards, front and back, that you can have, and your ratios formula sheet. The same could be true, uh, something similar, as far as ratio analysis goes. Which one of these ratios is larger? Which one is smaller? Make sure you know the relationship between risk and return. I gave you sort of preliminary versions of it as the course went along, and then I gave you a final version of the relationship between risk and return. Know it. Same is true in definitions. Make sure you know the correct relationship. Watch it trying to find on the internet, even in these supposedly reputable sites which are not reputable, they'll give you a wrong definition, a sloppy definition. And that's because it's the internet. The same is true with liquidity. Uh, there is a specific definition that I gave you in class, and then there are many sites that give you a false definition, an incorrect one. I even explained why they're incorrect. It's just a logical thing. So make sure that you have my definition. You're paying for a college education to get college-level knowledge, not internet knowledge. Well, let me address the Federal Reserve. I gave you a kind of a two-part lecture on the Fed. Now, I see a lot of you actually watched that video. Not many went to that Federal Reserve document, but a lot of you watched the video. Just basic uh, terms and concepts. How many governors are there? How many districts are there? How many vote, voting members are on the FOMC? Okay, what are the three duties of the Federal Reserve? In other words, regulate and supervise, and know which who regulates and who supervises. Regulates and supervises, bank for banks, conducts monetary policy. As far as monetary policy goes, a couple of things. Make sure you know those monetary aggregates, M0, M1, M2, M3. 
what they represent. Uh, as far as what money are they talking about. And I might give you a um, basic open market operation. Well, the domestic trading desk bought T-bills from banks. Would that add liquidity, not affect liquidity, or would that drain liquidity? And the answer there is, if they're buying T-bills from banks, then the banks are getting money from them that would add liquidity. Other basics, discount rate versus the federal funds rate. Make sure you know what the, some of the basic terminology of, that I showed you with respect to risk and return. What is the graph of the capital asset pricing model called? What is the frontier of efficient investments? Those kinds of questions. Now, I did, uh, in terms of free cash flow, I'm not going to have you calculate a free cash flow. I will expect you to know the formula. And as far as net operating working capital goes, and it's what it, how it affects free cash flow, I did this on one of the quizzes. I said, well, what happens if uh, accounts receivable go up? this year, over last year. Well, that would decrease free cash flow because you're giving up money that you could have taken in. What happens if your accounts payable go up? Well, that's increasing free cash flow because you're delaying paying an obligation. So that helps your cash flow position. Make sure you know what beta is, obviously, and you can distinguish between systematic and non-systematic risk. I, beta measures systematic risk. How would we measure total risk? Well, that's the standard deviation, sigma. Which one can you get rid of by putting more stocks in your portfolio? Obviously, that's your non-systematic risk. But also, um, how does correlation between stocks fit in here? Do you want to have a portfolio with high correlations of returns to the stocks? or low correlations of returns.
I'll give you one. Make sure you know the difference between a bill, a note, and a bond. And what do we mean by the issuer of the bond and the buyer or the investor? Like that one I gave you, uh, you borrow $200 from a friend and you'll pay it back in a couple of months. Well, in that case, you are the issuer and your friend is the buyer and the price is $200. The, the lender, your friend, is the investor. He's investing in you. Make sure you know that. Now, I gave you a lot of two-sided things, markets. Like, for example, the difference between a spot price and a forward price was one. What the book calls a futures price, which is technically not complete. Spot and forward. Primary and secondary markets. Money and capital. Debentures and mortgage bonds. There's another one. I'm trying to think. I said primary versus secondary. Money versus capital. Make sure you have those distinctions down. Those are in your list of terms, obviously, but I'm just re-emphasizing a few here. Now, a broad distinction, and I fussed about this more than a few times, the difference between accounting and finance, especially when it comes to costs. What matters to accountants as far as costs go, as opposed to what matters to finance? In finance, we care about opportunity cost, replacement cost, future expected cost. In accounting, they are all about historical costs, sunk costs. On, an, on the accounting statements, every cost on there is sunk. It's already been paid. In finance, we don't care really about those. They've already happened. What we want to know is what's going to happen next. The future expected. The, what we gave up, opportunity costs, to have what we have. What will it cost if we have to buy this machine again? Not what it cost when you bought it the last time, the book value. What will it cost if we have to buy it this time? That's the cost that really matters to us in finance. Uh, I threw other terms at you. Debentures, I talked about versus mortgage bonds. I, uh, I mentioned commercial paper, which is, a, a, which is very short-term borrowings. In other words, they're bills. Um, 
I'm probably not going to bother you with callable, puttable, and convertibles. Make sure you know things like, what does the weighted average cost of capital mean? What is the opt what do I mean by the optimal capital structure? Oh, and the 10k, 10q, 8k, that kind of those kinds of things. Just make sure you know. Okay, I want to see a year's financials that have made it through SEC review of a company. Okay, well, that would be the 10K. Well, let's see what they did last in the last quarter. Well, that would be the 10Q. Well, they just this company just issued an 8K. Well, that would mean that something unusual, a non-recurring event has occurred. I threw a bunch of terms at you. Bull and bear, obviously. Flight to quality. What's an exchange versus an index? Let me see if there's anything else that I think. Now, I always go through an ex just a little of the uh, behind the curtains. I look at an exam, I, I build it up, and then the first thing I do is I take my own exam, and I figure about maybe two to three times longer it will take you to do it. So if I'm running, if it's 120 minutes, and I, it took me like 90 minutes to do it, I start cutting out questions. So sometimes there will be a question that you might think would should be on there, but I just took it out because I, it was just draining too much time for you on the exam. You should be able to finish the exam in easily about 100 minutes, and then you have about 20 minutes to go through and check your answers. As I've said before, for heaven's sakes, be careful about second-guessing yourself. Much more often, you will change a right answer to a wrong answer doing that. Another thing is Canvas. Watch it when you put in a numeric answer. Check back to make sure that it didn't change that. Quiz 7 was a freaking nightmare because it changed a bunch of people's numbers, put a decimal in there, and so I had to go through one by one to fix it. Don't let that happen to you on the final. So now it's your turn to ask me questions. What do you have for me? Anything at all? Let you look through for a second. Yeah. Okay. Now, right now, it's 65. However, some of that is like a, a matching section. So that, that would be 
six, seven questions, but that's really only one question. So that 65 is a total number. However, I am pretty sure it will go down from there because I'll cut out some questions on it. That's kind of a vague answer, but it's just because at the end, before I give it to you, I trim out some questions that are just taking too long for you to do. But you should have, if it's about 60 questions, that will give you about two minutes per question. Obviously, go through the level one easy questions. There are enough of those for you to get a, a, you pass the exam. Then the level, get those all out of the way. Then go back and clean up the level two and save the pain for the last. Uh, if, that, if that means do the, do the numerics last, so be it. Just get as many points as you can collected on your first run through, and then go back and collect up gravy. Again, I gave you what, where I'll be in my office this week on Thursday during my office hours, Friday, maybe 10 to noon, and then next week a couple of times. That's all I have for you today and forever. I thank